0: Hello and welcome to the Applied Innovations Podcast. I am your host, Raphael, and this is your source for manufacturing insights, best practices, and technology. In this episode, we are talking about comparison metrology. In the past, using comparison measurement data from a master part has been seen as less ideal, but with today's modern tools, it may be the most effective way to do things. To appropriately cover this issue, I am chatting with two Renishaw application engineers, Ryan Rogers and Andrew Kerr. They are experts in comparison measurements and in process metrology, with a wealth of experience and knowledge in manufacturing. We examine Renishaw's equator device, an advanced piece of technology that exclusively uses the comparison measurement philosophy to its full potential. I want to thank Renishaw for not only lending Andrew and Ryan to us for this conversation, but for sponsoring the show. So for additional information and videos on any tools we covered today, go to Renishaw.com or click the link in the show notes. And now, here is my conversation with metrology experts, Ryan Rogers and Andrew Kerr. Andrew, Ryan, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about some stuff that really seems to brew up a lot of controversy among all the engineers that I've been talking to over the last few years. Both of you have a very specific kind of opinions on it, and I was hoping to share that with all the listeners. So the idea of compare as a form of metrology is seen as uh, rather controversial. Uh, So obviously, the both of you come from different uh, backgrounds, and I'm curious, what are your thoughts on it? And, and actually, if you could fill me in on what some of those backgrounds are, uh, just so that the listeners know a little bit more. I would appreciate uh, that, too. So, yeah, I'm
1: Ryan. Uh, I'm f- fresh out of college of uh, three years ago and started working for Renishaw. Uh, so, outside experience for me would just be dealing with um, customers and uh, turnkey applications. So, what I do is, here at Renishaw, is I work in the equator department. So, that's a measurement gauge that uses compare. Um, and then... So what I do is the training, and then I also go out and visit customers and, and all of that stuff. So um, my experience, I guess, is limited to just run a shop, but I think that also brings um, sort of a nice, fresh mindset to a lot of newer um, and maybe like more controversial metrology techniques. Sure. And Andrew, so, what about your background? Yeah,
2: I'm the one that doesn't have the fresh background. I, I, <laughs> my first 50 years was in manufacturing. The second 50 years was in uh, metrology. So uh, <laughs> uh, and, and because... And basically coming from a CMM background, it's something that we all look at a little bit differently, I think. We all have to understand it a little bit differently. Uh, similarly to how we would understand alignments on a CMM, everybody has to grasp it in their own particular way in their heads. And uh, compare is something that I've complained about in the beginning, but once the light bulb goes off, you realize all metrology should be done this way. Um, it, it allows us to do accurate in-process inspection uh, on a shop floor, in most environments, a CMM wouldn't be practical. It wouldn't be practical for, for cost uh, calibrating annual calibration, monthly verification costs. The equator, all of that is taken care of on. A, we can do it on an hourly or daily or, or weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ryan, you have your you know you have your views yeah. that that's slightly different from mine. Well, actually, yeah, it, uh, just to uh,
0: give everybody a little bit of a background, mm-hmm. everyone that keeps throwing around the name Equator, and that is a um, reprogrammable gauge uh, that looks like, what, maybe a three or four foot tall spider? <laughs> yeah. That that would be probably it. It's, it's black, has some orange parts on it. It's actually a very cool looking machine. Um, that, what, like two people can carry? One if you're particularly strong. So that's the overall tool that we're talking about here in case anyone wants yeah. to look that up. Yeah. Because that's, we're going to be throwing around that term equator all the time.
2: <laughs> I mean, whoever, yeah. whoever designed this, and obviously it's been designed uh, through Renishaw, um, the, uh, somebody's really thought out of the box because they brought together this machine that does not have some of the inherent problems with a CMF. It doesn't have the same Pitch and your enroll that a CMM would have, it's a, it's got a much smaller footprint that allows it to be very repeatable dimensionally. It's it's just incredibly repeatable and uh, flexible. Uh, so this equator, um, I believe it's, I believe you know most CNC lathe, mill, manual machine operations should have one of these sitting next to it.
1: Yeah, the, the Equator fits in a really interesting niche of between shop floor gauging and, um, like, final inspection lab CMM, CMM work. Um, a lot of times we actually do, like, geometrics, but I think the Equator mostly performs better when you're just dealing with, like, in-process measurements, like distances and sizes and whatnot. Um, and Compare works really well with those. So, kind of going back to Andrew's point with repeatability, that's a really big Point for the equator. Equator. The machine itself actually isn't an accurate machine, like a CMM. And,
2: and, and can I and can I discuss? You know, sure. when you use the term accurate, you know, it, it's not accurate to maybe a given standard. As for you, we don't claim it to be. It is actually quite an accurate machine, but uh, it's a, accuracy is a relative term. And as far as accuracy, we don't say, well, this is this is one inch, and this is two inches per se. Uh, basically, when you error map a CMM, for example, you will define. This is 10 millimeters, this is 20 millimeters, a new error map, but we don't need to do that because we're essentially, because the, the equator knows where it is in 3D space at any given time. We can just say, when you're here, this is the dimension. This is right. the dimension that we've gleaned from a calpite.
1: Yeah, when you when you look at an equator, or if you're like interested in getting one, a, a stat that we care about is the repeatability of a given feature. So per point, the equator is repeatable to plus minus two and a half microns. So that, what that means is, on a given touch point that you take on the equator, you're going to be somewhere within like five microns of it. And what that allows us to do is it doesn't really matter what that result is because we're going to use compare to then match it to a more accurate, the actual accurate standard. And this is like the big power of compare. A lot of times when I explain it in training, it's I use like an example of a dartboard where your accuracy would be based on how close you are to a bullseye which would kind of be like a CMM, right? So if you're calibrated CMM, you're, you want to aim for that like perfect bullseye every time. But on the equator, we might be off of the bullseye, but the idea is every single throw that we make with the dart is going to be close to each other. And then what we do is we use compare to then bring that in to where that bullseye actually is.
0: So just to be clear again, compare as in that form, that methodology of
1: metrology is compare. It's not like a software or anything like that. It is built-in algorithms, per se, on the equator. We have something called, like, Ren Compare that is doing the comparison. Mm-hmm. But the idea of Compare is more or less, yeah, a metrology idea, not necessarily just, like, a given software. Okay. Um, so there's not necessarily, like a, like, a magical veil in front of this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, like, based on, like, standards, essentially, to, to get that comparison down.
2: We are using a, a component of, of a known value. Right, It's the same, same component that we're actually measuring as they come off a machining or, or a manufacturing process. We're using that known uh, master part as a master gauge, as, as something to compare against. And really, it's the software then that goes in and, and is able to uh, combine those numbers uh, in a manner that, uh, you know, really on a CMM, we do something fairly similar when we calibrate the probes with a master calibration sphere we are gleaning something from something on the machine that's of a known value that we can then extrapolate dimensions from and know where different styli and, and, uh, are located and, and the diameters for those styli. Right. So it's it's an extension of that and what we do with compare. And it is really just a very clever thing that, that uh, allows us to uh, you know, package this whole equator system together, it just goes hand in hand. The operators now, initially there's a certain amount of resistance. because Resistance because there's a you know there's more sometimes for them to do. They may have to load this machine, although we can use robotics to load. It, but very often an operator is doing that. They've got to look at the data, possibly make adjustments on on what they're seeing on on this uh, the screen. Uh, but again, once that once you get over that hurdle, uh, I, I believe everybody really it, it it becomes more of a game than your own manufacturing process than just making parts. Pretty often when I go on site and do an install on an equator,
1: once operators kind of get their, the hang of it, more often than not, we see customers come back for more. They'll come back for more equators, they'll put them on more lines, and then essentially you become part of like what I would call like an equator ecosystem, essentially, where you're starting to understand that now I can take an operator off one line and put them on a different line, and the equator's basically the same between the two. Um, so that kind of like consistency across like the entire shop floor now becomes a bigger thing. And then what's also really nice is the equator is really flexible in that sense as well, where we can measure a bunch of different parts and all those sorts of things. That's a huge
0: vote of confidence. if They bought the one and then they buy more Right after that. <laughs> so I mean, that, that's a true testament to, I guess, something good happening there.
2: If you're not measuring your parts in production in process, then really it's too late after the fact uh, and so many companies are just doing final inspection which is possibly just a safety valve at that point you're really not controlling your products your quality of products um you know it's my personal belief that 90 to 100 percent of uh qc quality control and note the word control uh, should be done in process um and it's often hard to um get this accepted in, in a manufacturing company because there's often there's, there's a bit of a barrier between QC and the shop floor. There's, there's, there's a fight often between the two departments. This this makes it clear that actually we're all on the same team. You know, if you're in manufacturing, your products going out the door ensure your, the, the future of the company if the products are good and economical. And, and this is an economical machine to, to put in place of final inspection and multiple, multiple machines a lower cost out on the shop floor, checking the parts as they're made. You could actually take an equator from a lathe operation and transfer it if you wanted to, if that, that process had come to an end, and just transfer it over to a milling operation with some changes to the fixturing, uh, which uh, Renishaw offers modular fixturing that is easy to adapt. And you could be checking a, a mill part in an afternoon, uh, set up against a process in a different part of the company. How is compare dependable then? It, it sounds like there is
0: definitely some value here. People are using it. How, can, how do people ease up to the fact that it is a valid form of uh, metrology?
1: So a lot of people warm up to compare and equator as a whole, when you kind of start explaining to them that compare is more than just um, another form of measurement. It, it, it's I like to call the equator uh, a chameleon gauge. Where the biggest benefit, in my opinion, for compare is we can correlate to pretty much any sort of setup that you have. CMM compare is just one form of compare. But we do see times where we want to compare back to like a height gauge or just like calipers or a mic or something. And that would kind of lead us more towards feature compare. And essentially what that does is you say... Yep, this master that I'm making, um, I measured it on my mic and it's like this distance or like, you know, the diameter is this big. And then that value can actually just be put straight into the equator. And now we're comparing directly to that. That also allows us to, in the case of CMM Compare, one problem that you can run into is you're kind of having to hold on to a master that you've cal-filed. It's kind of like a like a NIST traceable kind of master,
2: essentially. And we're using essentially the same program the equator uses we run that on a cmm right yeah so So it's it's not like we have that that aspect of it is actually transfers quite nicely right Um, slight modifications maybe to some of the feed rates but other than that we're taking the 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 program from the equator running it on the cmm and then asking for a particular type of file a cal file and that
1: right which essentially is just holding point data and scan data essentially that the equator is using to go oh i know what this part was measured in a lab is essentially what what's going on with cmm compare but with feature compare you actually just type in a value and you just say yep this is the part that i measured and what that actually allows you is you actually don't have to hang on to a master a lot of places will have like what we call like a floating or like a rotating master where they have a master for every day because well that part that they are using as a master is actually a production part, so they want to be able to actually ship it out. So every single day, they just go through and update their feature compare file from a part that they measured on like some other CMM or some other gauge, essentially, and then we'll match right up with it. So I think that's where the biggest power for Equator comes from, and compare in general. And then that's kind of where I see most people really start adapting with with Equator, where you see how like how flexible that that is.
2: So let, let's, let's talk about how um, on the equator we've mastered a part. We actually take that master part and we run, run it through one routine to set those numbers, to part set those numbers, and then we'll go into the production run and start running however many pieces we want. One of the nice things about it is the um, as soon as we feel something's changed, if something's been bumped, if, some, if we had a part that you know had a feature that was mismachined and a part bumped, we can go right back to that master part remaster it and reset the machine, very simplistically, just in the way we started off at the beginning of the day. And other changes can also be compensated for, such as temperature. Uh, One of the big problems we want to cross on the shop floor is temperature changes throughout the day. Um, um, In the case of motors, organizer, there's a setting that's quite easily set where we can say, look, if the temperature changes two degrees centigrade, we can go ahead and say, flag an operator and say, hey, it's time for, time for, for us to remaster. Because we think that the temperature would have changed, would have affected the parts. Would have, right. The coefficients of the expansion may have affected what we're reading. So right away we can go and remaster, and we're back to square. If it goes up ten degrees, theoretically, uh, we can remaster, and uh, we're good to go again. So the machine right. just tells you this. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So the machine doesn't
1: have. It doesn't tell you like what the temperature is, but mm-hmm. it will tell you the change in temperature from when you last measured. And what this allows us to basically do is one of the biggest fights with compare is basically, are you choosing a machine with compare or are you going to be choosing a machine that has like a CMM that's has temperature compensation in it?
2: It gets um, complicated. It gets messy because you've got to consider the, the temperature, your scales, temperature of the machine, temperature of your parts. And parts don't always expand evenly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a master part that's going to expand right. how we tell, you know, we'll read how it expanded compensate for those uh, amounts on a very similar piece.
1: Yeah, compare, the biggest thing with that is compare doesn't really need or in the case of the equator specifically it uses compare as a way to basically compensate out um, things like temperature because basically the master part is growing on the shop floor at the same rate as your production parts because you leave it out on the shop floor and then essentially as your temperature changes, as your part expands and shrinks, you would basically remaster it we don't have to worry about the scales and whatnot because when you do a master run, it's co- basically collecting all that raw data. So basically between your master run at a given temperature and your measure run at a given temperature, the assumption is that the scales are at the same sort of like expansion and they're, they're under like the same effects. So there's no compensation back to like a lab temperature per se unless we're doing CMM compare where then it, it's basically just looking at the, the CAL files that were generated.
2: Just to be clear, the scales that we talk about on an equator are the same scales that we use on a CMM. That's why the repeatability is still very high-end scales to allow this machine to know exactly where it is.
0: As somebody that doesn't really know all the ins and outs uh, like you two, um, you're comparing it, you don't even have a, a thermometer in there, and you're just gathering data, essentially. And you're comparing the data from when you ran it and from you what you had in-house already stored into the system correct
1: right so it, it keeps track of like so you basically would run a master and it resets all of these different clocks one of them is a physical clock so if you want to remaster every shift right if I want to say every eight or ten hours I want to force a remaster there's like just a time one um, there's based on how many parts you've ran so you can say every 50 parts I want to force a remaster. Mm -hmm. Um, And those two we don't see as much. The biggest one though is the temperature drift because that's what actually affects your measurement. If you're running parts, your master can be valid as long as like the parts themselves haven't changed, right? So if the temperature hasn't moved, your master run from like a week ago could still be, you know, could still be valid. Obviously, most of the time that's not the case. You're not going to go a week without any temperature drift. But the idea is every intervals of, I believe, the defaults like plus or minus two degrees Celsius. But you can change that to like five or ten based on your process.
2: Most what of all, we've talked about um, with, with regard to convert goes on in the background. It's kind of seamless. We don't see it. What the operator still needs to see is an inspection report very often, which mimics or is the same as a CMM inspection report. Can, you can print it out. Then you can print it out. Save it and, and print it out later. Um, so we have the same data that, that somebody in the CMM lab is going to get right, uh, available right on the uh, equator. And then on top of that, we also get control package, and SPC package, where we can set control limits for the operator to see. And I've actually never used that, Ryan. So, you know, what do you see when you see uh, them looking at control limits? Oh, uh, it's
1: like SPC uh,
2: softwares and whatnot. Yes, that? I mean, I see SPC softwares, but I actually, quite frankly, haven't used it on the equator yet, <laughs> other than to do after the fact.
1: Yeah, it it really helps operators make sure that basically they're like kind of staying on track. A lot of times I hear people say once they get SPC set up that it was like the first time they ever met their numbers and and things like that kind of start popping up with the equator. Yeah, um, and it forces when you start getting an SPC software is you're no longer you're, you're eliminating paper trails, too. Once you start using SPC software, you're kind of moving into like a digital world where all of your stuff is like through the network and everything else. And summarized. Yeah,
2: summarized it's summarized. Really, so
1: yeah. you, you can filter out. So that's like a really big thing where maybe engineering wise, we want to have like twenty or twenty-five outputs total, but the operators maybe only really care about a specific, maybe like set of maybe like ten to fifteen. So the equator can actually measure maybe like those full, a full inspection report, but the the SPC software will just display the things that the operator needs to see. So you're kind of keeping track in the background of everything you need, but then the people on the shop floor are able to just filter out the stuff that they need for them. And that becomes a really nice tool as well. So it's kind of being able to manage having all the information and then being able to filter like who needs it when and why
2: essentially. So you, you had talked to me once about the seven stages of grief that we go through and you <laughs> yes. go into the shop. And, and, I, and I thought that was a good point because I remember when I first started out from CMM on the, the equator division and I remember talking to one of our engineers and he accused me of still being in the fog because I was still asking too many questions about compare <laughs> and why is it necessary? Why do we use it? What, you know, how do right. how you use it sometimes? And uh, um, he, he wasn't wrong. I mean, there is something for you to start to understand from an overview point of view that takes little while to change and to accept and you said you you go through this sometimes with the seven stages of grief so what do you see when you go on a shop floor
1: (laughs) um yeah going on site and doing an install for an equator can usually be a pretty big range of emotions um (laughs) a lot of times it's uh really just getting people through the process and then equator is meant as a process control device right mm-hmm. um so what that really means is it's gonna find problems in your system that's what it's meant to do in intentionally, fact intentionally right I, from the I, beginning what i tell people people don't want to know
2: it's like yeah, you know they've got to put the fingers over the and uh, uh, you know so it's it's
1: it, it becomes this kind of weird thing where I'm, I'm sitting there kind of going like you you bought this for this reason and it is going to bring up these kind of emotions between, like you were mentioning earlier, Andrew, with basically production and QC, where it will eventually tie them together because it does force, like, it forces, what are we measuring? What do we think is critical? I've been on site before and had people not really understand, well, what are our critical features? What what do we need to control? Um, and a lot of times the equator, I'll have a program that maybe has... 20 to 25 outputs but then maybe over the course of the year they they end up discovering like oh we really only need like these five or six and to me that shows that yeah the equator has shown them maybe stuff that's already been in control that they didn't actually think was and that means now they can go focus on things that are out of control and you know kind of stop putting time into things that we can see, a, have a baseline in our trending and our good, and instead kind of work on the, the more finicky, critical features that we need to
2: be looking at more. Well, the next stage, the seven stages goes to- <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, <I guess> <laughs> a lot of marketing, <laughs> a lot bad. of, yeah. do we have to really do
0: this? Yes, you Yes, you, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: there, there's a lot of, yeah, going through, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's-
2: At the end of the rainbow, there is, uh, I think it's uh, hope and acceptance of it, I think, it, right? So I mean, yeah. you you. you do you feel you walk away very often and, and there is that the light bulb starting to go off? Yeah, and, yeah. Wow. And, and it's like, wow, <laughs> and this is, you know, why, why, don't, why isn't this all over the everywhere? You know, it's, I think uh, one of
1: my favorite on-site visits, kind of to go along with that, w- would be, um, I, I went on site once and they were using these, like, manual, um, like, roundness gauges that the operators had to, like, load manually and it was, like, a whole line of them where you would take a part off the machine and essentially, like, go through this line of maybe, like, six to eight different gauges that would just measure, like, different um, circularities and sizes. Um, and the equator just took all of that and made it load it once, hit play, go do something for a minute. Where I remember before I left that week, one of the operators was like, my fingers, like, don't hurt after a shift anymore because I'm not, like, gauging, you know? Right, yeah. I'm not, like, using these manual gauges. And, yeah, that was like, wow, that's that made me feel pretty good. And then, like, they're happier now that they don't have to do any of that. And then another benefit that came out of that was the equator was actually slower than those manual gauges, than those lines of manual gauges. But the big problems they had with the manual gauges were they didn't line up to any lab results. The equator did correlate to their lab within a micron, which was awesome. Uh, Usually we see closer to like five, but we were seeing under one. So matched up with their lab. So now the gauges were essentially known as like random number generators. So the data they were getting wasn't very consistent or good. The Equators changed that. Their operators were happier because now they don't have to ruin their fingers every shift just like gauging all these parts all day, every day. And then the other thing they added was the Equator is you hit play and you go. So it took longer. The manual gauges were probably like, it took like 30 seconds apart. Equator is a little over a minute to a minute and a half for the same cycle. But that also freed up the operator for that minute. So they didn't have to come back and change the part until the program was done. And that's another aspect of cycle time that I think a lot of people who are looking at switching their gauging over to something automatic like an equator kind of forget is it's drop, hit, play, and now your operator's free until the part's done. So they can go off and do something else. They can go either load another equator in a lot of cases. um, If you like double up, now you can half that cycle time, um, or they're going off and doing other things.
2: And there's some issues with hot gauges hard gauges are custom gauges that is fit gauges or they're snap gauges uh, turn diameters etc. They really don't give you feedback dimensionally; They just tell you whether it fits or it doesn't. Whereas in the equator you're going to get numbers that will maybe help you know when it's time to change an insert, know when it's time to change an end mill uh, based on the the drift in the data. Yeah,
1: yeah. so it also brings in the whole whole idea of being able to match the equator to other things which I said kind of going back to the whole point of Compare is being a chameleon, being able to match what you have. Um, very rarely, if ever, have I ever had a case where we couldn't get an equator to match something in some way. Um, and if there isn't a match, you can usually start looking at how the methodologies between how are we measuring it on the equator or how are we measuring it on like the given gauge or CMM. And I think that's, honestly, all of that comes from uh, Compare.
2: When you go into a company... And you get this initial, most of the time, some of the time, (laughs) resistance towards an equator. Um, You see that from uh, CMM as well, from the CMM department, not just the operator, right? I would imagine. I could imagine the CMM operator, first of all, the own job security may be challenged a little bit with this as they perceive it in the. uh, There is a
1: bit of that, yeah. We're just um, general fear. Just general fear of, um, hi, I'm a Renaissance engineer and I'm here to tell you that, like, your program isn't repeatable or these sorts of things. Although I think something I want to bring to the table with that would be um, I'm never coming in on site at a customer to like get someone's job like ruined or anything like that. The, The whole point is we want you to have an equator that works for you, but at the same time we want to come in and say we need to have the process right and we're gonna help you get through that process whatever that is. Um, A lot of times what what will happen in those kind of cases where um, maybe a program, like, isn't repeatable or it has, like, offset vectors that aren't perfect or, like, kind of, like, basic need to know to make your programs more standardized, a lot of times we'll come in and say, okay, we'll basically tidy up the program for the equator, but then... um, your CMM operators and programmers can come in, look at our program, and then use that to basically reverse engineer their CMM. And a lot of times that actually works out really well because now we don't have to worry about correlation because essentially they're going to go, yep, we're going to match what you have here, is kind of the idea. So we can work backwards too. So it
0: doesn't necessarily endanger uh, the CMM uh, guys. No, the opposite actually. Actually,
2: you know, I, I think because... Uh, it still needs it still needs programming in the same way that a CMM needs to be programmed. Uh, you might have more of these that need programming now. Venetio will offer uh, contract programming uh, as required, but we would much rather have a champion or champions at our customers mm. in order to be able to be self-sufficient. It's uh, then there's acceptance. Then people get it. Uh, yeah, and, I'm sure, it's cheaper
0: uh, for them too.
2: Yeah, and we yeah. and we offer obviously the training to do that. Uh, and uh, you know so. It, it, we want everybody to be independent. We want them to to have this throughout the the, the, the manufacturing in a manner that they they feel the benefits. It, it really doesn't. I I feel that initial fear is unwarranted, uh, from both shop floor and from uh, QC. And I feel, as Ryan uh, states, you know, often this will help merge these two departments. And so we all realize we're all on the same team here. We just want good products, you know. So.
0: And honestly. Uh, People fear change, but the reason this was purchased in the first place is because somebody saw that change was necessary. Something needed to to happen to improve the process.
1: Someone saw that either current in-process measurement or gauging isn't really working out for them, or in some cases, it's the first time of them dipping their toes into process control, um, which I think the equator actually fits fine for a first-time process control, because you can kind of start like I said, you can start with like more features, and then kind of narrow it down as you go along and start seeing what's in control and what's not. So it's not. even good for beginners, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's
2: great. Renishaw wants to help you make your product better.
1: Right, that's, I mean, that's what we, we want to do. If, if we help you does. do that,
2: we'll be successful. Right. So you know, and that's that's our goal is to help you make your product better. That makes sense.
1: Very cool. So with an equator, how often do you have to calibrate something like that? So calibration is kind of interesting for an equator. So we don't have an annual calibration like you would on like a CMM. There's no necessarily, you have to have an equator asserted. That That's not really not how the equator works. Now, if you're using, if you need something that's like traceable and like need something to have, something that could be audited essentially, then we can use CMM compare. And then the idea is the standard then is based off of the master part itself, not the equator. Um, so essentially
2: so, we, so we've cleaned data from the cmm which is presumably traceable
1: right so the cmm itself and, would be traceable but that the data ran yeah, on. that data is used
2: that data is then used on the machine and and and, and uh, you know we check that continually I mean, and, and we do a lot of studies before we let a machine go out of the building to make sure that a particular product we're getting repeatable data there's a, quite an extensive amount of gauge R&R studies that we do Uh, The
1: standard on a turnkey for an equator is both, um, before we hit CMM, is a 30-run type 0, so 30 runs not moving the part. So what that would do is just test the program. So if we're not moving the part, we're not touching the part at all, basically we want 30 runs to come out exactly the same.
2: And that proves the program is is, is, is uh, before we go on to proving the picture.
1: Yep, and then the next study would be a type 1 study, which is 30 runs on and off of a fixture so it's a single part um, basically every run you pull off the part put it back on and then what you're checking there is are your alignments able to really what you're testing is the fixture but another programming part that you're checking with a type 1 study is how well are your alignments capturing the movement on the fixture because any fixture is going to have some movement in the part right you're never going to load a part in the exact same spot every time
2: although the alignment program within the the alignment portion of the, uh, the program itself right. actually compensates Will, for a lot of that, you know. Right. It, it,
1: no. Right. So what well. you want to check in a type one is that your alignments are actually forcing things to zero out. Are you seeing? Are you capturing that movement essentially? And you would see that in your alignment. But, and then
2: yeah. after that, we go on to multiple operators.
1: Yep. So uh, usually at that point, we would take it to a CMM and do our cal files. And then after that, what we like to do is a type two study, or a, more or less a fuller gauge R and R. Typically, it's either a five-three-two, so it would be five parts, three trials, two operators, or all the way up to a 10-3-3, three, three, which would be ten parts, three runs on each part, and three operators.
0: Now, is all this happening at the customer site, or is this before we even roll There's out uh, an machine? Both, sometimes
1: both, So, okay. um, but always before it leaves here at the office. So okay. we always do those tests here, um, and then... Sometimes it's required where we we do them on-site. I do recommend doing studies on-site just because shop floor environment, vibrations, and all of that kind of stuff can come into play.
2: And we use their operators then sometimes, which brings a different side to it as well, rather than our own, you know, sometimes more experienced operators.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and I do want to note that doing it on-site is more or less, I like it for reference because you are then putting in more variables than just the gauge. So a gauge R&R should just limit it to just the gauge, which here at the office, we have those controlled environments to basically remove all those extra variables. But if you are seeing vibrations on site, then we can't necessarily say that we're seeing the same gauge R&R percentages from the office to site.
0: It's almost like the difference between... a uh training at home and then going off to war you're actually doing
2: it right where you're yeah. going to be doing it so right. do we have customers actually do all let's say a is starting with their own process different process on their own shop floor and they haven't contracted with us to set any of that up they've already got an equator They're just adapting it to another right. process do they do that themselves a lot of the time
1: Part of my training, when I have people in here and I'm running the training course, by the end of the week, I am running through how do you run gauge studies. And if you're writing programs for an equator, or honestly, if you're writing programs for gauging and inspection in general, you should be running some sorts of studies, whether it's just repeatability, you should definitely do at least a type 0 and a type 1. And that's kind of the big Renishaw standard, I would say, here, at least, is... Running at least a type zero and a type. And there
2: are terms to some extent, zero in this case. I think other companies use different level terms for their gauge RNA. I terms.
1: believe so. Yeah, that's why I usually like to say repeatability and reproducibility studies, but those are a little more general.
0: <laughs> now, I'm curious. Okay, this was brought up a little bit earlier, yeah. and uh, you might have even answered this question, but why is it then that people assume this is a CMM? Is it just because you're comparing against a CMM, so they assume <laughs> it's, it's doing point. the same it, thing? Why do people? Why it do looks people, very different? Clearly, it's yeah. in a different environment, obviously. So why
1: do people think it's a CMM?
2: That, I think that's a good point. Very really good point.
1: I think a lot of it has to do with the the programming is very similar. If you showed someone an equator program and right next to it was a CMM program, uh, they look very similar. So there isn't differences on that end. Um, programming wise, it's the same. And then we're using styli and things like that in like probes, which I think kind of also kind of help tie it into oh, it's like a CMM. it's a CMM. Um, but
2: we're... the methodology is, is different and it's important to, to make that difference. Um, you can you are getting very similar data out of it that you would from a CMM. We just use a slightly different path to get it yeah.
1: The way I kind of fix this problem, with, with people when they start telling me, like, oh, the equator, it's a small CMM. I go, no, it's, it's a gauge that uses CMM-style measurements. You have to look at it from a gauge view, even though it is doing something similar that a CMM would do. We're essentially being... The idea is that the equator ties a CMM to the shop floor. It doesn't replace a CMM. In fact, it actually helps basically... Support a CMM. So, is,
2: would you say this is a gauge that is essentially self-calibrating because of the way we utilize it?
1: Right, because the idea is, as long as your master hasn't been like damaged or something, there is no cert for the equator itself. That um, it, it's yeah. If you need an audit on the equator, you would be auditing the master part because the the accuracy portion, kind of going back all the way back to like the dartboard analogy. Um, the accuracy what brings it into brings all the darts that we've thrown to the bull'seye our traceability yeah our tra- yeah comes from that accuracy standard that you're applying. So if you needed to audit the equator and you're using like feature compare on a caliber you would essentially need to be auditing like the gate the height gauge or the caliper that you're using not the equator
0: This robot spider equator it's clearly having an impact so I'm curious how is this going to, fall into industry 4.0 and how we know it now, automation and things like that. Also, what industries would even benefit from this? I know I'm throwing a lot at of- you. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, okay. Yeah. Well, let's start with like um, how the equator fits into like a modern manufacturing environment, stuff like industry 4.0. Sure. Um, so the equator is easily networked. Um, we can throw it into any network and basically throw reports wherever we want, SPC software, we even have something which allows you to view into any equator from anywhere in the world, essentially, if like we're looking at global operations. Wow. Um, we actually run that in our robo drill cell where the UK can actually pull up reports from the robo drill in our own demonstration. in our own yeah. office. Yeah. So things like that automation in, in its entirety. The equator is great for we have what we call I.O. boxes that are just USB boxes that plug into the equator and then that lets you talk out to robots and just automation cells in general.
2: We so have what you said. What you said earlier though too is um, a U.S. company could be checking the production, monitoring the, the Indian production. Yeah, from here. Yep. Yeah.
0: yeah. From anywhere yeah. in from the world. From anywhere in the world. In That's
2: the world. amazing. From the internet. <laughs> wow. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. This internet thing might take off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It might, be, wow. might be a big thing. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, yeah, the equator does fit into this new, like, digital internet world now, you you know, on a simpler scale, yeah, you you could go all the way to, you know, yep, U.S. production facilities looking at, you know, manufacturing sites in India and stuff like that. But even on a more local scale, let's say you have 15 equators on your shop floor, you're able to pinpoint what each equator is measuring and trace all of those runs individually. You're able to filter out all that information with, like, SPC and whatnot. As long as they're all networked onto the you know, networked and all that kind of stuff, you're able to get into them.
2: And this is where QC's role doesn't go away. It just changes slightly. Like they'll mm-hmm. probably be the ones monitoring the data. Oh, that's fantastic. You know? so it, it, it's, uh, it's just much broader. So in this situation, you of
0: course, you can be observing, you can look at the data, you can literally watch what's happening. Uh, how many operators could you actually get on four or five equators? So, Do you need oh, one I'm- operator, or could you actually automate it to the point where you have... Uh, cells with maybe four robot arms shuttles and things like yeah, that.
1: yeah um in fact i've even done installs for lights out manufacturing which would be 24 hours where you basically load up bar stock that the robot loads into um like the lay of their mill and then that part gets sent over to the equator to check and it nice. just runs until it's out of bar stock essentially you don't have to do anything it's fully automated. The Equator sends offsets back to the machine to basically, you know, if there's any, like, basically you'd have to go there if there's any, like, tool breakages, but it will do, like, offsets to basically keep the part trending. You'll never make a bad part. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
2: That, that that takes some setting up. Yeah, That takes is. a while. Yeah. That, that's a
1: big setup. But once you get it set up, all you have to do is have an operator load a bunch of bar stock into the cell and then say go and turn Zero. off the lights, go home. Is there yeah. a limit for something like that? Like, oh, well, you can only do it with
0: three or four. Or could you actually have a giant warehouse full of them? You not that could. I would recommend it. I'm not sure if it would even be useful to anybody to um, have that. But We're getting there, though. That, really? That's,
1: I mean, that's where this is going, is we're going to have full factories like that.
2: Our own demo room touches on it. You know, we have a setup in the demo room here that will show you that in case of machine castings that are moved back and forth, et cetera.
1: Yeah, and as far as the offsetting, um, we can send, one equator can send to multiple machine tools with like additional licenses, essentially. Um, So yeah, you could have, you could actually have multiple machines feeding a single equator. Wow. If it's quick enough and you're doing like single operations. Although I think it is is pretty common to see one equator per machine tool. But we do see cells that feed one equator.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. Wow. And I guess that the result of that is you don't need as many people to be running that much, uh, that much equipment. So you can kind of keep things a little bit trim and you're still producing higher caliber
1: parts. Yeah. And it it lets you do, uh, I touched on it back even with the, the manual equator setup where even though the gauges were faster, right we freed up an operator from doing that so now they can go do something else instead of you know messing around with gauging even more so now with an automation cell right now we're fully automated now an operator basically just has to like make sure that it has bar stock and that you know a tool hasn't snapped or something like that sure. so what kind of industries do you see this really taking off in biggest ones would be automotive aerospace medical and then agriculture, construction, those are the big ones. Consumer electronics is, we do we do some smaller parts on the Equator 300.
0: Well, is there any industry that you haven't quite popped into yet that you want to? Your big whale, if you will. My big whale. Uh, mine,
2: mine would be injection molding, which I would hope we would start yeah. to uh, look at uh, in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems to be something that we just haven't uh, made those connections yet, but I don't see why not. So it's doable. And, uh,
0: you just haven't had the opportunity to involve it yet. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Since we're wrapping up here, I just mm-hmm. wanted to ask the both of you: Where do you see Equator going uh, in the future? And I think we actually touched on a lot of that already. But is there anything else that you think is coming down the line for Equator or for anyone that might use one?
2: There are some. There, there some are some fun ones. Here, and, I, I know uh, I can't talk about all of them. <laughs> oh, uh, yes. Secrets. I love so that. <laughs> let's I just say we're not. St- let's yeah. just say we're not standing still yeah that's good yeah yes
1: there's we have the addition of the equator 500 that we haven't specifically mentioned so we have the equator 300 which has a 300 millimeter diameter volume which fits like most smaller like automotive gear parts and stuff like that but the second that we want to start going into automotive transmission parts or like larger diff cases and things like that the 300 volume definitely limits us so they made a bigger one called the equator 500 and now that has a 500 millimeter diameter that is a monstrous looking it's big. machine yeah. um it's about four times the size of a 300
2: we can still lift it yeah I think that's three people to lift it it's though, amazing I think it's, it's like
1: fun. a three-person three lift person it's lift. probably, it's I
2: probably is what we definitely want at least three
1: but it's probably like really 200 pounds ish well i think the equator 300 standard is probably like under 50 Mm-hmm. 5075 or something like that um, the equator 300 can be a one man lift but the equator 500 is definitely like three mm-hmm. okay. um, but, but hey you have a range of new parts that you can measure that. right one. so yeah and, and that's seeing a lot of excitement because now we've basically opened up the door to larger parts now so things like that are coming through the pipeline
2: I don't think we quite know how scalable the equator is uh, by design uh, but, yeah but you know it's definitely something that Obviously, we look at because we want to fit into more and more corners of manufacturing.
0: Well, that sounds great. That's all very exciting stuff. Thank you very much for coming on the show and talking to everybody. Yeah, uh, thank you for having our us. Audience. You're welcome. Hopefully, we'll have you back on the show. Thank you. Thank you. And that was my conversation with applications engineers Ryan Rogers and Andrew Kerr. I hope that all the information they shared with us today is of some value to you and your business. Thank you for listening to the show, and be sure to subscribe to the feed to catch the latest episode immediately upon release. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at appliedinnovationspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Raphael, and this is the Applied Innovations
2: Podcast.